You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Happiness is not something ready-made. It comes from your own actions. Want to kick off this two days before Valentine's Day. This is a time when a lot of people are thinking about their relationships and love, which is something we should be thinking about every day. But that's a good quote to kick off today's February the 12th show with. Happiness is not something ready-made. It comes from your own actions, and that's from the Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama, the, and it's the 14th. So I want to welcome you, welcome you, and tell you, for, to our loyal listeners, thank you for being with us going on 16 years. If this is your first time tuning into Off the Shelf, I just want to tell you, you are at the right place, and you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf. Welcome to this Saturday, February the 12th. Can you guys, I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and I said, can you believe we're in February? It seemed like we just did Happy New Year, and now that's all gone, right? That's all gone. <laughs> now we in like the middle of February. Time is just whatever it is you want to do. I tell people you better get started on it because it'll be over before you know it. And, and, and the one thing that makes whatever you do good is your relationships. And we have a guest on deck to to really hopefully share insight what she talks about in her book and on today's show that can maybe help you, might be a a game changer in your relationship. So excited to introduce her to you later in the show. But I I want to introduce you to my latest novel, and it's titled Escaping Toward Freedom, and it is a mystery thriller. When I first started writing, I had no idea that I would go into – novels that had these mysteries in them but this one is based on real life some some events that have actually taken place unfortunately in the world and some of the 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 core of the story has dominated headline news at times so i encourage you i encourage you like a mystery and a thriller and i mean you will is something happening it just the pace of the story is is fast i encourage you to get a copy of escaping Toward Freedom, it just, just came out. And you can read free excerpts at my website at chistelcchistell.com. Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And today's off-the-shelf guest is Dr. Patty Henry. And uh, Patty Henry is a psychotherapist a writer, and a public speaker. She received her graduate training from the University of Houston, and additionally she's appeared on PBS, I love that, I love PBS, where she has discussed marital therapy on the Mental Health Matters program. And Patty Henry is the author of the book, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing. Don't you love when when people don't just talk about that? the challenge or the issue or the problem, but they also get offer a solution. And, again, the title of that book is The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing. And maybe she'll also discuss emotionally unavailable women as well because women can also be emotionally unavailable. And the book has been recommended by Ann Davis of the Huffington Post as one of nine power-packed books to help you live your best life ever. It is highly rated and has been much sought after. Please check Patty Henry out online at Patty Henry, and I'm going I'm to spell it P-A-T-T-I hyphen H-E-N-R-Y dot com. Again, that's P-A-T-T-I hyphen H-E-N-R-Y dot com, and I'm going to bring her on live. Excited to have her on here. We are honored to have Patty Henry join us on Off the Shelf books this morning welcome to off the shelf patty oh thank you so much thank you for having me oh and 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 you talk about right on time not only your book when it i know it came out uh not like when COVID kicked off but i just am 
curious through your talk and your work as we st- as we go further into the interview, not right now, what COVID has done to relationships has shifted so much stuff. We've seen it in the workforce, but it has really, really had a had an impact. And maybe it's good. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was changed that needed to come. But the first few questions I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest on the show because our listeners like to get a little backstory on the guests before they, we start talking about their books. So to kick it off, Patty, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Yes, I grew up in Ohio, and um, my parents divorced when I was four years old, which was probably the biggest um, trauma in my life. And then my mother uh, met a wonderful man and remarried my stepfather, and um, we had a great life together. There are three kids, and um, I loved school. I loved to go to school. I loved to just get A's and work hard and <laughs> things like that. Um, so, okay. I think now, when we you were a, when you were normal. a young girl, when you were a young girl, uh, Patty, growing up mm-hmm. in Ohio. What did you dream of becoming? What did you want to be when you became a grown woman? Um, I dreamt of becoming an attorney, which I did not <laughs> do. <laughs> I didn't. I did apply to uh, law schools, and I got into all the ones I applied to. But then I just decided that wasn't for me. And um, what I really wanted to do was teach, but not in um, the United States because the teaching is so difficult here. And um, so I went to Mexico City and I taught there where the teacher is revered. And if uh, the teacher says your child needs to do this, the parents are on board immediately. There's no resistance. It's wonderful. And so uh, when I came back to the United States, I thought I want to teach, but I want to teach people that want to learn. And um, who, how could I do that? And I thought of, you know, therapy. So I went back to school and got my advanced degree in psychotherapy. And um, I've been in private practice for, oh gosh, 32 years now. Um, And it's worked out. (laughs) I enjoy it a lot. It's amazing when one thing of doing off the shelf and the many, many guests I've interviewed over the years, some people know exactly what they want to do when they're young, and they, they never veer mm. off. And then some people, yeah. even in their 40s and 50s, they're like, I still don't really know what I want to do. And some people, they, right. it takes them a while, and they finally find something that they feel like this is. And then some, they do something, they feel like this is what they want to do half their life, and then they up and totally change later later on. Right. Right. Because I think that's something beautiful about what has happened in our country is that you can have more than one career. You can. It mm. used to be that you know if you got hired by Exxon, you worked there your entire life. You never went anywhere else. And now you can leave Exxon, and you can go to Shell, and you can work there for a while, and then you can go back to Exxon. I mean, there's definitely more freedom of movement of changing careers and saying, well, I really liked that for a while, but I'm done with it, and now I want to do this instead. So I, yeah. I love that. And, you know, I, I, that approach you take to it is because is, a lot of times we don't deal with change well, but I want to I talk about their book. What? So you wanted to be an attorney. You said no, and good for you if you knew that's not what you wanted to do. Then you wanted to go into teaching, and then – then you said you want to teach those who really want to learn, so you end up in psychotherapy. What inspired mm-hmm. you, because not every psychotherapist does this, to actually publish a book? Well, my first book, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing, uh, came about because I was working in a psych hospital in the women's program. 
And when I did therapy with the woman, I realized, you know, I can't do this in the vacuum. I need to have their husband in too. So I had the husband come into a session and um, I realized they needed help more than the woman did. Mm. And so um, I thought, well, what can we do to help men heal? Because it's even more a taboo about going to therapy as a male than it is female. So um, anyway, I wrote this book and I have to tell you a story. It came out like on Tuesday. And um, on Wednesday, somebody called and asked me to speak at their conference that weekend, which was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I said, don't you already have your speakers lined up? And he said, yeah, but we just got your book and we really want you to speak. And so we're going to put you on Friday at noon. I said, at lunchtime? (laughs) He said, yes. I said, do you supply lunch? No, they have to bring their own lunch or go out for lunch. I said, who's going to come? So I made 20 handouts and 278 people came. Oh, my gosh. Crammed into this big room um, because it really struck a nerve. So many men have been taught to cut off their emotional development as children. You know, big boys don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. You know, um, suck it up. Why is the that? Is, Why? Did you research, yeah. uh, Dr. Henry, did you research after you started to see what was happening and the men need help as well? Why it, why do we raise our sons that way? How far back does that go? I'm all, I'm thinking back when the people were building their own cabins. You had wild animals, and you had to be tough, and yeah. you couldn't sit down and cry. You had to deal with hard things in life, whether it was the weather or an animal or whatever. Where did that come from where men were taught to be a man? You're supposed yeah. to be stoic. Right, and um, don't develop your emotional self. Because and the uh, I don't know where it began. It's been around for hundreds of years, and um, I just want it to end. <laughs> you know, mm. have the ending to the um, th- that mantra that we tell little boys. I will say it is getting better. I do work with men in therapy. Um, I probably about half my practice are, is with men and um, it didn't used to be that way 30 years ago so they are seeking answers now for themselves which I'm so glad of and um, you know learning that feelings are our friends they're you know they give us information so uh, we need to be able to be accepting of them and um, yeah so it's getting better, and I everywhere I go, I teach, don't teach your little boys these things. Like if I do a conference on the emotionally unavailable man, I'll ask uh, people in the audience, how many, uh, what were you taught growing up? And the men will say, you know, all those things, don't cry, big boys don't cry, and you're a sissy and everything. And um, so I say we have to change that message to our little boys because they're just like little girls. If you have a two-year-old boy or a two-year-old girl, they will let you know if they're not happy. Yeah. <laughs> and so somewhere between two years old and ten years old, the little boys are taught you cannot have these emotions. And little girls, on the other hand, are comforted. You know, if they're upset about something, you know, their dad will pick her up and say, oh, it's okay, honey, I'm right here. I'm going to take care of you. Um, I'll keep you safe. And um, there are no monsters under your bed. Let's go look. You know, a little boy comes down and says, Daddy, I'm afraid. He, He gets a message. You march right back up there and you get to bed and don't come out again. And so he doesn't get the comfort um, that children need. So just really getting clear. 
I have to, I want to ask you this, and this is something that also has come up. We're we're all humans, but I don't we don't see each other that way. But um, we see each other as like we're like different uh, creatures or something. How much do what is the, the stereotypes that we create? Not just by gender. We have them. How tall are you? How short are you? How mm-hmm. how with the weights? What are all these stereotypes? Have you ever like been interested, or do you know somebody or a book? I'm just curious. Where do all these stereotypes we create come from? Uh, well, I know that part of the human experience is that we have to belong, and um, so people look for a group that looks like them so they can feel like they belong. And that's a good thing. I mean, I think that's the number one cause of suicide is when people get so desperate that they feel like they don't belong anywhere. They don't have a group. They don't have a family. And, um, yeah, that's a dangerous place to be. So uh, I definitely think people seek out others like them. And that's not all bad. Yeah, the bad part is when somebody's not like us, and we we do we and we all do it. And then we stereotype. You're not in my age group. You're not in the, from the country I'm from. You're not from the city I'm from. Yeah. You don't talk like me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because you know, especially when you're younger, little is uh, I mean, different is. Um, hard to grasp you know how can you be from you know Bulgaria and um, what does that mean and um, so just you educate 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 and of course we have to educate um, not just men but also women Um, in my book the most shiny available man it's a flip book one side is written directly to men and if you flip it over, the other side is written directly to women. Because there are things that women do that encourage men to remain emotionally unavailable. And the biggest thing that women do is what I call a hurricane. And they hurricane on their partner. They rage at them. They shut them off. They cold shoulder them. Um, the main component of a hurricane is that it's relentless and that it's overwhelming to the man because he wasn't taught how to deal with that. So what's an example of a hurricane? If you had to give a real-life example of it playing out, what would that look like, whether it's raising the kids or something, somebody purchased something? or What would be an example of that actually playing out? Well, um, it could be anything that um, the husband comes and approaches the wife about something and she just um, loses it. And let me think of a real-life example. Um, Let's see. Okay, here's one. When my older son was playing basketball, he was in the 9- and 10-year-old league. And there was a 9-year-old on the other team that was huge. You know, you want to see his birth certificate because you're like, really? He's only 9 um, but or 10? So um, anyway, he, at one point, it was my little son's job to um, guard this Mr. Big on the other side. And Mr. Big decided to go into for a basket, and he literally ran over the, uh, I thought it was my son, but it was not my son. It was uh, another little guy on their team. And he ran him over, and he crashed down to the gym floor, and you could hear his head crack, and he fell down crying, writhing in pain, 
And the gym was completely silent except for one voice. And it was his mother screaming at him, suck it up, son, suck it up. And I think, are you kidding? You know, um, yeah. Wow. Things yeah. like that. Just don't feel what you're feeling. And um, be braver, bigger, whatever you want to call it. But really, it's saying cut off from your emotional development. You know, and 20 years later, we haven't done that to little girls. And we put them together and we say, gosh, why aren't they getting along? And that's why our divorce rate is at 50%. And um, because we raise boys and girls differently. So we have to get to the point where boys are valued um, when they, you know, fall over and crack their head and are crying and writhing in pain that the mom would go down and comfort him. There, That was the hope, um, though, because one of the dads in the stands went down and picked him up and comforted him and rocked him and... Um, and I thought, oh, there's the hope for the world right there. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, even some men, would be, if they t- look tuning into this, they might be turned off thinking, you're going to make that boy weak. Because it's, 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 it's yeah. both sides. It is both sides right. um, where even men would think, don't pet on me, don't do that, you'll make me weak. And uh, right. I've, I've heard that even coming from men. Stop hugging on me, stop whatever, you'll make me weak. i got to be strong. I gotta be strong. Yes. Uh, uh, can you can you for our off the shelf listeners just give us a little more insight or overview of the your book, the uh, mostly unavailable man, a blueprint for healing? What are some of the specific topics that you cover in the book? Um, sure. Let me uh, look at. I talk about the hurricane, and um, you know what men do to avoid the hurricane and how to stand up and face the storm and have boundaries. I tell men you need two things. You need boundaries and you need a voice. And I talk about what that means. Um, There's a chapter on family of origin, so you know where you got these messages, and then um, you let yourself reconnect with feelings and living in personal integrity get to freedom you know when you know who you are and you stand in that space and it's so important and then I talk about how to calm the storm how to you know what are the words you need to say to this woman that's screaming at you or cold shouldering you not sleeping with you anymore um, never having sex again you know and how do you talk about that to your partner? How do you get clear on what your ideal or what your image of a good marriage would look like for you and have those conversations with your wife? And um, so I've had so many people come in as a couple and they learn how to hear each other, how to speak to each other, how to listen. And I teach people how to hear differently. Like if my husband comes home and I say, how was your day? And he says, oh, I was completely overwhelmed. I don't say, oh, I had a hard day too. I hear, oh, he's completely overwhelmed. He needs a hug. So I'm going to go and give him a hug and say, tell me about it. Tell me all about it and make space for him instead of taking up all this space. Yeah, and, 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 and you, you, this is how my mind works. <laughs> I think that's fabulous. Uh-huh. But then also, he has to know when to do that for you as well. Because in, in some oh, relationships, absolutely. they're so one-sided where one person is doing what you're saying and all the other is doing is re- receiving or taking it, and they never flip and do it for their partner. And that's why I have part of this book is written to women, you know, what you can do and what you can't do in order to help your partner become emotionally available. Um, 
you have to become safe and you have to, again, develop a voice that says, you know, I feel like I'm here for you and I don't feel like you're here for me. And I want that to be different so that we both get our needs met. And yeah, kind of I think that's- work, work, yeah, work to get on the same team. What we want is the same thing. Yeah, relationships are hard. <laughs> you know, it's not just romantic relationships. It's actually yes. people get challenged with relationships with their colleagues at work, with your neighbors, yes. with with people you're at the same worship center with, with some people relatives. They don't even speak to their relatives for decades. It's just difficult, yes. especially you'll hear people say, I'm the one who's always giving. I'm Yeah, I believe in uh, – Listening to the other person being there for them, but they're never they they don't do they don't return that to me. So it's really it's important that balance. And this sounds like uh-huh. a much needed book, a much a much needed book. Uh, I'm just curious to ask you this, and I wasn't going to initially ask you this. Have you seen in your work with COVID? Have you seen a shift in relationships? Those dynamics. Have you seen things get worse? I've heard like. But people in domestic violence, yeah. I'm told that during COVID, they got really bad. Have you have you seen yeah. things get worse, better? What kind of shift worse. have you seen? <laughs> Mostly worse because um, there's a lot of stress on people. And, um, you know, you have to stay home. If you go out, you have to wear a mask. You know, and um, there's a lot of stress on individuals, and therefore there's stress, more stress in the relationship. So... Um, I want to tell you about my latest book, Two Lifetimes, Moving from Fear to Love. Mm-hmm. And um, the first lifetime, we are in our wounded child. I believe everybody comes to the planet whole and perfect and beautiful. You know, you hold a newborn, it's like, oh, my gosh, you're holding a miracle, looking at the face of God right there. And... um then our world doesn't support that level of love yet. And so that newborn baby, which was you, which was me, which was each one of us on the planet, gets thrown into lifetime one where we have parents and siblings and teachers and coaches and um, who don't come from that love vibration, but they come more from the fear And so what happens to that little innocent child is they get wounded. They get emotionally wounded. They get shut down. They get told you're stupid, you're ugly, you're, um, you know, a bother, get out of the room. You know, they get these messages that say, I'm not okay. And I think that's the universal wound that everybody gets. I'm not okay. There's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. And the reality is that's a lie. It's not even true. The reality is you are What's the title of this book, Patty? I want to tell our listeners again. What's the title of it? It's Two Lifetimes. Oh, Two Lifetimes. From Fear to Love. Mm -hmm. The first lifetime is when we're in our wounded child. And then um, the second lifetime and which I think is all of our um, need to do in this lifetime is to move from lifetime one into lifetime two, where you have your authentic self, you have your adult self, and you're able to respond instead of react. When we're in our child self, we react to things. We're very reactionary. And we have to learn how to tamp that down, have a voice, stand in our own space. And um, I have a client that's a stand-up comedian, and she says, um, claim your real estate. (laughs) We each get a little piece of the world, and that's your real estate. And um, to really be able to say, this is what I want, And um, I don't want it to be so one-sided. I feel like I'm here for you and you're not here for me. And you might be here for me, but it's not coming across. So 
need you to learn to do it in such a way that it comes across to me, that I feel loved. Now, in, in this book, do you talk about specific experiences or traumas that could really uh, make it hard for somebody to get to that that second life? And, that, sure. and I want to ask you, that first life, you know, they say our mm-hmm. brains in development for about the first 10 years is developing, which is why early childhood traumas can be so devastating. But right. is, is there a certain period where we're in that first life? We come here, we're hopefully adored. Not everybody who comes here has even has parents who are healthy enough to do that. But uh, mm-hmm. is there a certain period typically where we're in that first life and somewhere we learn I'm not enough? And then we we could spend our rest of our whole life struggling with that. Oh, yeah. When does that typically, that first life, take place? And when do we start to wake up and start working to become more authentic self and enjoy more of that second life? Well, our brain development um, still happens at, you know, 21, 22 years old. You're still getting gray matter. And so around that time is when, I see the most growth as far as coming aware that there is a better choice than what I've been living so far because I'm, you know, fly off the handle and, you know, just behaviors that have gotten them in trouble, getting fired from a job or uh, your partner walks out on you and, and to really learn how to take responsibility for creating what you want in your life. I I say that you have to get ready to give up your victim card to turn it in. So you can see that you you actually are in control, even if it doesn't look like it, of of your life. Right. Do you offer offer steps? Are there, as as a psychotherapist, do you offer steps in the book for people, again, who had very traumatic childhoods? And I mean uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, do you offer steps? I almost think those um, people are victims. <laughs> I almost think they are victims, that much abuse. But to to work your oh, way out absolutely. of that into, the, into your authentic children, self, how do you, the children, path out? Yeah, children are victims, absolutely. You were a victim as a child. And now, how long do you want to live in your child as opposed mm. to having your an authentic, empowered adult self be in charge of your life? But, yeah, and so you have to learn what it looks like to play your victim card. It's not my fault, you know, the boss did this. Or it's not my fault. My partner did this. It's not my fault. It's like it's not about fault. It's about responsibility to really say, uh, this went wrong and I need to do something about it. I need to go back and talk about it. I need to go back and apologize. I need to go back and let it be known what would have worked for me. Um, you know, just taking responsibility. And that's what I think our work is on the planet, to move from lifetime one into lifetime two. And so this book really talks about that. Um, it's divided into um, the first part is the story where we learn everything and the second part is the work. And part of the work is learning to say nice things to yourself. Garbage in, garbage out. And if you're constantly telling yourself, I'm not enough, I'm you know, not pretty enough, good enough, rich enough, uh, whatever, clever enough, uh, then it's not going to turn out well. So you have to learn how to see yourself honestly and decide to think differently that I am enough. How much work um, would you say this takes for somebody? Would you recommend, uh, and, and this, these, these that are items that are discussed in the book, would you recommend somebody get professional counseling? I know there's fines that you might be stuck mm-hmm. and you, you you need professional counseling or could a support group, are there signs that a support group could work? You could do the work on your own. At some point you're going to have to do a lot of the work on your own anyway, but 
is there a sign somebody needs a therapist, a support group, or they can really do this work um, on their own? Well, you know, it depends how fast you want to do it. You can definitely do it on your own. But I know I had one man come to me, and he was 80 years old, and um, he said, you might think I'm coming to the game kind of late. <laughs> and I said, well, mostly people come earlier. And he <laughs> said, well, I have really good genes, and my uncle lived to be 106, and if I have okay. 26 more years, I want to get it right. I want to do better. And uh, he just had so much to work through and grieve, and um, he, at 80 years old, he did the work. So I was so proud of him. Awesome. Yeah, it's just how fast you want to go. You know, a therapist can usually speed up the process and help you along the way. Um, I just had yesterday, I had, I think, the most uh, wonderful session I've ever had in my 32 years or however long I've been doing this now. And... um, I came home and I told my husband, I just had the best session I've ever had in my life because I saw a man that I had seen about a year ago and we worked every week for a year on um, his social skills and the messages he had and, um, you know, and he came back and he was, I hadn't seen him for a couple of months. He said, I'm happy. I'm happy. I walk around happy. I just feel happy. I feel so alive. And, um, yeah, so he met someone and he uh, knew her in junior high and high school, and but they never dated or anything, but they were, you know, acquaintances. And um, he met her again all these years later, 30 years later, and... Um, they clicked, and he said, I have learned so much in this year of therapy that I could not have done this without it. And so, wow. Um, yeah, he came you know to what? say and thank you. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a gift. And, and you know yes. what? It, it, um, it helps when you're upset. I know for me, anyway, if I'm upset... And this is the thing with a therapist or a support group. To have somebody, you tell somebody, I'm upset. This is the way I'm seeing this, and I'm upset about it. How do you yeah. see it? And when you see somebody else, and I think a therapist, even I've been told a good therapist, even it was something that happened to you in your past, they can help you see it differently. So, uh, like you yeah. said, you might not see yourself you might not see yourself as bad or whatever. They can they can help you see that experience d- differently, and and your emotions yeah. around it may change. Ever you you may totally start to let it go. That is a huge huge benefit, I think, of of, yeah. of therapy. Somebody letting you see something differently. Your upset starts to go away. You see it differently. Right. Well, I definitely have that experience on a daily basis with people that they're uh, waking up and waking up to the truth that they are enough and um, that they are responsible for their life and that they always, always have choice. That is so powerful when you really get you always have choice to make something big to make it small, uh, to make it insignificant, um, you get to decide how big it's going to be in your life. And till you own the fact that I have choice, your little child will show up and say, no, you don't, no, you don't, you're, you're not allowed to. You always screw it up. You're, you know, all that child uh, family of origin stuff that's in there or bullied it in school or, you know, uh, wherever the damage happened. And certainly I've had people tell me stories about coaches that just humiliated them and um, in front of the whole team. And, you know, what are you doing out here? You can't even, you know, um, hit the ball. You can't even, you know, whatever. Um, But I think the thing that is most damaging for people 
growing up in school is that public humiliation. You know, teachers calling you out in front of people, you know, what are you, stupid? You know, it's like, wow. And I don't think they um, mean to do that. I don't, I don't. Yeah. Some people, like some parents are mean, some coaches think it's a it's a motivator to, to put you right. down like that. They do it in the military and boot camp, too. I mean, they talk to you like you're crap. Oh, yeah. But, but it's, it's, right. it's, I think they think it's it's a way to make you tougher. I think a lot of people who create a lot of our programs don't know a lot about humans. <laughs> like, oh. like your military right. boot camps, your coaches, they don't really know a lot about how a human functions in a healthy way. They don't know. It's, maybe they're right. going off of what they experienced as a child, and they think if I put you down, it'll motivate you to not <laughs> be the way I'm saying yeah. now. That's what I think. Well, I'm, yeah, I think that you're right. I um, take the opposite approach. I always say my secret weapon is love. And I love every person that walks in my door and, um, you know, do as much as I can to fill them with self-love. And then one day they get it. And they Mm. say, I understand what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Um, And, you know come back you to say what? thank you. One thing I would like to leave with our listeners because they tune in from all over the world is um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, uh, can you share two steps that our listeners can could implement to start coming out of this negative? Come, is, first of all, first question, two questions. Can you share two signs that a person is operating out of the child? Out of that old history, are there two yes. signs? They might not know that they're doing that. that are there, well, are the there biggest signs? sign, mm-hmm. the biggest sign is being reactionary. And so I tell people the first time I see them, I want you to go home and just be aware of when you're reacting and when you're able to respond. Responding is slower. You um, look at all your options of what you could say or do and choose one. And if it doesn't work out too well, you let go of it and you look at your options again and choose another one. So that if you're reacting, then you got some more work to do. And it's so natural to react. And so um, it's hard to learn how to slow it down and say, wait a minute, I got a choice. I'm not a victim here. Um, what are my choices? And then move from there. So that's one thing. Reacting is a huge thing that you don't want in your life. Um, let's see a second thing. Um, you know, just um, changing your internal um, dialogue that you have with yourself, becoming aware of how what you say to yourself. Because a lot of people say a lot of awful things. And they usually come from family of origin that they learned it when they were little growing up. And they're still, you know, their dad's still in charge. And their mom's still in charge. And then like, wait a minute, you're 46 years old. You've got some options here that you didn't have when you were four years old. And um, But you have to change your internal dialogue by saying things that I'm allowed to, I'm um, valuable, I'm lovable, I'm important, I am um, blessed. You know, just coming to your defense Instead of saying the opposite, I have one client I talk about in my book, Two Lifetimes. She used to come to every session and tell me how horrible she was. She would come in and say, no, don't you get it? I'm worthless. I have no worth. I have no value. Nobody would want to meet with me. And I said, you know, how is something positive going to come out of that? You have to change what you're telling yourself because... It's based on lies because there are no worthless people. There are no uh, people that are um, not supposed to be here. You know, they're, they're, 
every person came to the planet with, um, you know, some, I think, work to do to move from fear into love. And the more people that get to love and live there, the closer we get to world peace. Yeah, you know, the, the, I, and, I, and I, I, I agree. I read a book called A Course in Miracles, and it, it has a similar yeah. message in it. But the, 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 yes. the thing is, we come here, it almost doesn't make sense in a way to me. We come here it, it, totally innocent, and, and then we take, mm-hmm. we come in and we, we don't have the problems when we get here. We get them right. after we're here, and then we have to work through them. To me, that is, doesn't make sense. It, 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 something about that is very backwards to me. <laughs> yeah, why is it like that, right? And, you know, to get to the point where it's not like that, that we come perfect to the planet and our parents are both awake. I mean, I always say every baby deserves two adults to raise them as opposed to two children who are reacting to each other or drinking and drugging or, you know, whatever. Um, that that innocent little baby, once we change the system enough that enough people are awake before they have children. I used to think to myself, why didn't I have all this wisdom before I had children instead of you get it afterwards? And I believe that if we didn't have our children, we weren't, wouldn't work so hard to get ourselves. You know, it's, it's a way of you know, I tell my clients, you know, you have kids, so you got to do this work. They deserve to have an adult raising them, an emotional adult, um, where you can stand up for yourself and, um, you know, tell the truth, always. Walk in integrity, always. You know, those are options for you. And And this work is ongoing. I want to say that to our... Uh, off-the-shelf yeah. listeners, this is not something that you, you – it's like healthy eating or exercising. In this world, you don't get to exercise for five years and then never do it again and stay right, healthy. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's just something that you have to – you can never stop this work. And and this is it's one thing when I would – and I rarely fortunately, fortunately have to go to the doctor for any physical illness – but when I would go, they would say to me, now take all of the prescription because they said what well, they see so many people do, they start feeling better, and then they stop everything, and then you, could, yeah. you, can, you can work yourself back to where you were or right. even in a worse place. So you, it's, it's ongoing work. It's not work that stops. You know, when I think about your book, both of your books, uh, and on, we're, we're, if you're coming in late, here to our off-the-shelf show today. We're speaking with Dr. Patty Henry, and she's the author of the books, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing, and also Two Lifetimes from Fear to Love. You can check her out online at patty, P-A-T-T-I hyphen, H-E-N-R-Y dot com, pattyhenry.com. But what I wanted to ask you next was um, this applies to both both of your books, I think, both uh to the uh, Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing, and to Lifetimes from Fear to Love, is dealing with our emotions. I, I, I saw a quote or yesterday that said, food is the number one anti-anxiety drug. And I said, you know what, I think that's true. Not everybody drinks alcohol. Not everybody uh, takes a drug mm-hmm. or smokes cigarettes, but a lot of us abuse food. We don't eat it just yes. to um, to stay alive, and then you know sometimes eat to, to enjoy the taste of the food. We literally eat food to feed, uh, deal with emotions and and and, and different mm-hmm. thoughts that we're dealing with. So I wanted to ask you this: Are there safe ways to connect or reconnect with emotions, since so many of us seem to be running from emotions? Uh, yes, I think that. Um, there have to be <laughs> safe ways. And uh, um, to me, it's one day at a time, one, uh, you know, feeling at a time and being able to say that, 
mean, therapy is so powerful because you, you know, alluded to it earlier when you get to say it out loud to someone and you get to know that they still think you're amazing and um, magnificent and they didn't get up and run out of the room, but they sat with you during the hard times when you're crying or upset and comforted you. Um, then you get, you know, of an experience of uh, feeling these emotions isn't awful. It's um, temporary. And at the other side, I feel so free. I feel so light, lightweight. And, um, yeah, so sharing is important, but only with safe people. So mm. you don't want to share with, you know, your just anybody that comes along. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I had a client once, I don't know if I put him in one of my books, but um, when he was younger, his parents were gone all day, every day, and he was left at home with his little sister. And um, when they got to be 13 and 14, they started to explore sexuality. Nobody was there. Nobody taught them, you know, you don't do that with your sister or brother. And um, so when he got older and he got married, he never told his wife that. And when she found out, she divorced him. And I said, oh, no, no, that's just one little piece of who he is. That's not who he is. He's wonderful. And um, that was definitely circumstantial. And um, But she left, and then he started to date. And he would tell women on his first date that oh my he God. explored sexually with his younger sister. And he said, you won't go out with me again. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's sacred information. You do not share that casually or with somebody who's not safe. And so you have to be careful who you share with your deepest um, wounds. But, you know, if you can share them with somebody, a partner, a therapist, somebody that will, a group member, you know, I love the 12-step groups for um, AA and uh, Overeaters Anonymous, all those 12-step uh, groups, um, Sex Addicts Anonymous. Um, yeah. Mm. So sharing, sharing that's, that's a one good way that you can start to deal with your emotions. And, and, and just I think even also practice being more aware you can see what works in other people's lives. Just being aware, no, mm-hmm. don't to criticize and judge what what seems to work and what doesn't seem to work in, in other people's lives. And I think it's very important to have people to mirror back to you your worth, your value. I, oh, I, I absolutely. Alright, that is. Yes. And, and, and would you recommend if somebody's in a in a relationship? It could be at work. It could be romantic where they're constantly being, it's reinforced that they're nothing, that they get out of that environment. Oh, absolutely, yes. Life is short. Why would you want to spend it in a place where you are told you're not okay? Because you are okay. That's the truth. And, um, you know, another thing I was going to tell you is if a person comes to me for therapy, I also have them read read, 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 read books on how to, you know, go from lifetime one to lifetime two, how to, um, I love um, James Dobson's book, Love Must Be Tough, in a relationship where there's infidelity. How do you bring that partner back into the relationship, the marriage? And, um, you know, just different books that are out there. Um, There's IFS. Uh, the internal family systems. There are some good books out about that, just talking about family of origin and how what you were given isn't really who you are. It's that um, it was fed to you as truth, and now you can decide whether you believe it's true or not. 
because uh, in your adult self, yeah, you get to decide if I even believe that. Just because somebody Rita, tells you something. Yeah, just because somebody says something. I didn't want to cut you off. You, you were saying just because somebody. Oh, yeah, just because somebody says something to you doesn't mean it's true. You have to put it into your filter to find out whether you even believe it. And if somebody is telling you you're not good enough, you're not uh, doing well enough, you have to decide if that's true. I just had a a client quit their job a couple weeks ago and got a much better job because she had um, a supervisor who hated everyone. I mean, she clearly had uh, issues to work through, but would just beat up people in front of other people and just mm-hmm. unnecessarily being mean. And so, um, yeah, she finally said, I, I don't want to work there anymore. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> yay! <laughs> and she, <laughs> yeah, because life is short. You know, yeah. go where you want to go and um, be treated well. So she's in this new job, and so. Can you, with with just a a few minutes left, and I I really encourage people who came in midstream to go back when the show finishes streaming and listen to it in its entirety and its archives. And this is a show I think anybody can benefit from, so please, please share it once it finishes streaming. But we just have a few minutes left. Can you share details on the campaign for kindness? Oh, I love that, the Campaign for Kindness. Um, I have uh, kindness bracelets that um, people can buy for a dollar, and I always recommend, too, that you keep one for yourself and you give one away when someone is kind to you. And so um, it's a good program for kids in elementary school. It's a good program just in life, just to say thank you for the kindness, pass this on to someone who is kind to you. And the other thing I would tell you about is um, I have a bumper sticker that says kindness is contagious. And I bought two of these bumper stickers at a shop and I was waiting for a new car to come in and uh, so I put one on my old car and I was waiting with my one left for my new car to come in and put it on and um, I had a client come in from out of town rented a car said oh I love that bumper sticker where can I get one and I said oh you know I didn't want him to go clear across town in Houston. He's from a small town in Nebraska. So I said, um, I have not one. I'm going to give it to you. I was going to save it for my car, but I want you to have it. He said, no, no. I said, yes, yes. I want you to take it and and put it on your car and um, just spread the word out to people that kindness is contagious. And so he finally took it. And that was like in October or something. And on Christmas Eve, I came to my office and there was a package there of a thousand bumper stickers. Kindness is contagious. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. What a story. Oh my goodness. The kindness bracelet. Oh my goodness! What a story! I have, I'm telling you, this, and I, I really wish we could go on and on and on, but we are running out of time. I'm telling you, I'm so, you have just blessed me. I've so enjoyed this interview and connecting with you. I want to uh, our listeners again, Dr. Patty Henry. Please visit her online at p a t t i hyphen h e n r y dot com. Again, that's p a t t i hyphen H-E-N-R-Y.com. She is the author of the book, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing, and it's written for both men and women to help in relationships and in your awakening. She also has written the book, Two Lifetimes, which is interesting if you go back and listen to the show when she starts talking about these two lifetimes, from fear to love, and then she has the kindness campaign, which we just very, very, very briefly touched on. I, I... 
We are out of time, you guys. I thank you so much, Dr. Patty Henry. Please pick up a copy of The Emotionally Unavailable Man, A Blueprint for Healing, or Two Lifetimes from, or both, Two Lifetimes from Fear to Love, and visit, visit Dr. Patty Henry online. There I, I on, just thank you. They're on Amazon, both of them. And also, I wanted to let you know, I'm not actually a doctor. You keep calling me doctor. I'm like, no, that's a promotion. I have a master's degree in psychological counseling. So, and see, she's, um, also, she's also very honest and transparent. And <laughs> yeah. So, okay, well, thank you. Uh, uh, either way, she's 30-plus years in a cycle psychotherapist yeah. and thank you for the work you're doing in the in the kindness campaign and for taking time out of your life to be with us here on off the shelf on february the 12th 2022 to all of our listeners as i always tell you first of all thank you for tuning in please share off the shelf with people that you know and i'll see you back here saturday at 11 a.m eastern standard time remember you are awesome you are amazing. You are incredible. Yes. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Patty, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you for the very important work that you are doing. You are oh, part you. of you. healing the world, and that's what we need. So thank you. Thanks oh, for thank having you. me. Okay. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye-bye.